So when they were handing out last names, right, these two guys were gifted, okay? <laughs> Vereldzis? There's a silent Z in there, man. Crazy. Password strength, strong. And Zinsmeister? That's got to get you a free drink somewhere in Germany. So let's make it easy and introduce to you the Arizona Sports Saturday audience, your hosts, Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And a happy Saturday to all of you out there listening. This is Arizona Sports Saturday, your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Well... Looks like the big voice did all the work for us today, Steve. How do you feel? I feel old. <laughs> I am, oh, yeah, uh, that's right. You're celebrating a big day today. I, I don't say this with the intent of making anyone who is older than me feel older than me, but I turned 30 today. That's oh, a, oh, that's a big birthday right there. That's a big Massive milestone. milestone. Here, I appreciate that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the 30 Club. Thanks, bro. Thanks, man. <laughs> but I got to tell you, first of all, we have not been here since the branding change that we undertook. We no, are not- two weeks ago, we were on the air. Yes. We were at Chase Field for the triple header of the Arizona Fall League, which was super cool, by the way. Awesome invite. We got that. the opportunity to talk with Jordan Lawler, D-back's top prospect, who has since been hurt, by the way. <laughs> this uh, team can't get out of its own way, man. I know. We talked with Cooper Hummel, who we can now officially refer to as Diamondback's catcher. Yes. Uh, we talked to a couple of other prospects and a couple of other friends while we were there. So it was such a cool experience and uh, glad to be back on the air. Everybody should take a step back right now and realize that the next week to week and a half is spectacular in terms of like timing for sports. Oh, we're in great because shape. Because we have literally everything. For, everything. There is something for everyone right now. The World Series is happening, and everybody's rooting for the Phillies. <laughs> as far as we I'm know. Wrong. As far as we know. The NBA season is underway, and the Phoenix Suns appear to be just fine without Kevin Durant. We'll get into that plenty. Uh, we've got the NFL season, and the Cardinals are maybe starting to turn things around. We'll maybe. find out. Uh, we've got the NHL season, and the Coyotes just started at Mullet Arena the other night, mm-hmm. last night. Uh, what else am I missing? At college football is still in full swing. Yeah, do I still have your attention, by the way? I know Ohio do, State's right at halftime, but... Yeah, well, I, I noticed you didn't put it on any of the TVs. In the That's season. not my job anymore. <laughs> my job is to make sure you're not watching Ohio State for the next three hours, I just want to make sure everybody understands that we are in the golden window of sports right now. I mean, October's only a few days from done, and November gets some love, too, because they'll get the rest of the World Series um, some of the days, I mean. But October might just be the best sports month on the calendar. It's my favorite month of the year. You mentioned one of those sports and one of those teams who was in action last night. Trey Murphy gets it up front to McCullough. Drives inside. It's blocked by Biombo. Suns had the ball. They get it in the corner area to Lee. A three. Well, it looks like the Suns are back to being um, the Phoenix Suns. I don't know when they stopped being the Phoenix Suns. And quite frankly, I'm mad at myself. I don't know how you feel, Steve. I'm mad at myself for assuming that there was going to be at least some sort of strife early on in this year. And instead, they come out 124-111 victory over the Pelicans. Mikhail Bridges, the leading scorer, and... 
You know what? Ho-hum. The Phoenix Suns are good again. Should we have been surprised? Uh, Frankly, no. (laughs) Probably not. I think when the schedule came out and you see the Dallas Mavericks on opening night and the Clippers are still a pretty good team, the Warriors obviously coming off a championship, the Pelicans gave them a lot of trouble in the first round of the playoffs. Now, I think... If you put this game in context, I was a little disappointed that Zion and Brandon Ingram were both not available for this game, which changes things a little bit, right? It takes the rug from under you. Yeah, it takes a little bit of the wind out of the sails of like the enjoyment of the game. But you win the game by 13. Okay, great. We move on. Hopefully they get to face the Pelicans at another time with uh, a team at better strength. The one headline you're going to read today is that DeAndre Ayton goes down with a sprained ankle. I believe he stepped on Jonas Valanciunas' foot. Yes. Um, No update after the game from Monty on that. Uh, Just kind of generally speaking, sprained ankles tend to be like a couple of days injury recovery. But everyone is different. Everything is different. Yep. So And it's not easy at seven feet coming down on another dude that's seven feet. And look, as a 5'7 man, I'm not sure how much pressure... You put on an ankle when you come down from, you know, a couple of inches above the ground going up for a contested bucket. But I I hope it's nothing serious. It sounds like it's nothing serious, even though we don't really have a full update on it. Well, and even if you want to just look at what this team is without DeAndre Ayton, I don't think they'll be without him for long. But let's play that game for a second. Okay. Last regular season last year without uh, DeAndre Ayton, the team was 18 and six. So they won 75% of their games without the big guy. They had a very successful JaVale McGee. They now, eventually they, went and got Bismack Biombo, who turned out to be a great addition at that time as well. And for the record, too, they were really good with Aiton. I'm not yeah. saying they were better without him. I, they won 64 games. Of course they were right. good with him. They were 46-12 and 12 with Aiton. But my point is simply, and, and you brought up Biombo, and then there's Landale in the mix as well. Yep. Biombo right now has the second highest field goal percentage on the team. Now, that's expected from a big man, right? He plays around the bucket most of the time. Probably some slam dunks in there. But Biombo and Landale have the two highest blocks per 36 minutes, so they're actually better rim defenders right now, statistically speaking, than DeAndre Ayton was. The only problem I have is Biombo is fouling way too much. Eh, He has seven fouls in 31 minutes. He had five last night. Yeah. So as long as that kind of gets tamed a little bit, I have no problem with the two of them filling the time that's going to be needed to make up for DeAndre Ayton being out. I tell you what, quite frankly, I was a little concerned after Ayton went out because, you know, we play this game a lot. You look at the other side and who do they have? They have Jonas Valanciunas. The dude is a walking double-double, and sometimes he's a walking 20-20. He didn't exactly get there last night, and part of that is because Jock Landale and specifically Bismack Biombo, who, as far as I'm concerned, didn't really get any minutes up until last night, really, really stepped into a role and really held his own against the big man. Valanciunas really came together in the second half. We'll give him credit where credit's due. He had 25 points and 10 boards, but... Biombo stepping up the way that he did really helped make an impact on that game. He finished that game as even a 0-0, but he had 11 points. He had 13 rebounds, and he even blocked a couple of shots, assisted a couple too. I tell you what, speaking of assists, the passing last night in the fourth quarter, I was melting on the couch watching some of those passes. That no-look pass that Bridges had down low to Cam Johnson cutting to the basket, oh, it was beautiful. I was... I was in awe watching the Suns last night. It was really kind of, uh, the performance was almost the opposite of what we saw in the first round of the playoffs. And remembering back to that first round, you correct me if your memory of this is any different, but 
one of the big things they struggled with was rebounding. They struggled down low. They were they were pushed around by Valanciunas in particular. Jackson Hayes had a pretty good series. Yeah. I thought that that was really the strong suit of the Pelicans. And mind you, they didn't have Zion in that series either. No. So this is a comparable team. Now, Brandon Ingram is arguably their best player between him and probably C.J. McCollum. Uh, so without him, you can't really compare the two offenses. But when it comes to rebounding, last night... 47 to 33 in favor of the Phoenix Suns. They dominated the Bulls. And that's with Aiton leaving the game seven minutes in. They had 14 offensive rebounds last night, too. Yeah. Like that's a positive showing for a team where they were criticized on their rebounding ability last year a lot. Even early this year, like against the Mavericks, they were criticized on the rebounding. What am I to make of Chris Paul this season? Because I do feel that on the most basic statistical level, fans will look at the box scores and say, Chris Paul's really not playing very well. I'm of the opinion, and I, and I want to ask our uh, our insider, Kevin Zimmerman, who's coming up next, but um, with Chris Paul, it does feel to me like the team is holding him back to try to keep him as fresh as possible after what we saw in the postseason last year where, I mean, he turned 38, I think it was, one night, and then from then on, it was just like, the uh, carriage turned Night back into a pumpkin. Is that the expression? I guess so. I'm so I'm curious if they're if they're holding him back now. Last night, not a good shooting performance. Not a great line. One, one for seven, seven. Not good. No, but he's still Chris Paul. Should are we just to assume that like Chris Paul is, you know, that he's aging and he's not going to be able to help this team, or should we believe in the fact that the Phoenix Suns are trying something a little different? And there's no better time to try it than really, really early on in the regular season, which, as we learned last year, doesn't really mean a whole lot. Doesn't really matter how many wins you get. They're nice. Well, I- 64 of them is a franchise record, but clearly, what did it lead to? Right. So Nothing. To kind of piggyback off that, I think they looked at last season, the regular season versus the postseason, and they came to this realization that, you know what, we went all out in the regular season, and when we got to the playoffs— Guys like in their role, the role players on the bench, like campaign, provided next to nothing. Landry Shamit provided next to nothing. They needed to get those guys more involved. I think Cameron Payne's been really impressive, especially oh, he's scoring been the ball. Awesome to start the year. And if Chris Paul's going to be held back a little bit, I think that could be good for a guy like Payne, who now you get to the playoffs and he has more experience and he has more time under his belt and he's scoring more. He'll be in more of a groove when you get to that first, second round of the playoffs. And I think that could be very valuable. It's just really nice to see Cameron Payne look like the Cameron Payne that we as Suns fans know Cameron Payne to be. I've said Cameron Payne a lot. Maybe I should say something else. It's that kind of name you have to say the first and last Cameron name. Cameron Payne. You can't really say either one. Campaign. Can't call him Cam because there's, well, there's Cam also Johnson. two. Yeah, there's two Cams. Maybe call him Pain. Bringer of Pain. I don't know. Coming up next, we got to talk more about this Suns team. Did even Kevin Zimmerman, Arizona Sports Lead Editor and one half of Empire of the Suns podcast, did he see this Suns team coming? We'll ask him next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports. That's us, Mitch and Steve. We get the big voice in on us now. It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Trevor Henry's behind the glass keeping us company. Phoenix Suns in full swing, and they're swinging. They're swinging pretty hard, and they got another victory last night 
over the New Orleans Pelicans. We want to talk some more Suns, a little bit of Cardinals maybe on the end. Hopefully, Kevin Zimmerman, lead editor for Arizona Sports, is prepared for that. He's also one half of the Empire of the Suns podcast he does with Kellen Olson, so he's very in touch with this Suns team. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time today. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Steve feels a little bit older, but that just that, I that happens. I turned 30 today, Kev. Wow. Happy birthday, dude. Thanks, it, man. It's all downhill. I know. I know. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's been downhill for a while, but. You know. So, Kev, I just got to ask you straight up to start. Did you see this coming from the Phoenix Suns, a four and one start? I mean, I, I think I always thought they were going to finish, you know, in the top half of the West. And it was a matter of how slow the start do they get off to. I mean, even last year, you look at, you win 64 games, but I think they started one and three. So there was a little of that in the first couple games. Obviously, the first half of that Dallas game, um, the Portland game just was a little not to the same energy levels you usually see from this team. But last three, I think we've seen the same team that we saw all last regular season and I guess for me, the biggest thing is their bench, which is obviously very different now. Cam Johnson's not in that unit, um, and there's a lot of new faces. That unit looks like it's operating like the bench units we've seen in the past two years. Is there any record that the Suns could have on January 15th where we're not talking about a possible Kevin Durant trade? I think it's more about the Brooklyn Nets record, which um, if we're going off of what we've seen so far there, then we're going to be. But, yeah, I I think it it doesn't really matter what the Suns record is. For me, it's the same issues the last couple off seasons where it's you got to give Devin Booker and Chris Paul a little more help. Um, I think last night was a good example and a reminder that, Although it was against a, a really depleted team from a depth perspective, they're they're going to cruise at points and beat the teams that they should beat for the most part in the regular season just because they're well coached, just because Devin Booker is a- appearing to take another step possibly, um, if you could even say that, um, af- after a first-team All-NBA year. So I think it's still going to be on the radar with Kevin Durant just because the Nets are bad. Kevin Zimmerman, lead editor for Arizona Sports, one half of Empire of the Suns podcast on Arizona Sports. He's joining us here on the Arizona Sports line. Uh, we'll stick with the big three. We hit on eight and a little bit there. I want to switch to Booker, who just looks like, and you mentioned it, we don't even know how he's taking another step, but here he is, and he's doing it even after being a first-team All-NBAer. What is it about this year's Devin Booker that you've seen that has led to this early success for him? I think one thing that we probably have overtalked about is just the amount of rest he got this past, um, you know, off season where the pandemic screwed everything up the past couple of years and he looked really good and he's still a young player, obviously. Um, but when you rack up those miles going to the NBA finals, I think last year, um, I don't know if that caught up with him in the playoffs or whatever, but just being able to rest and recover and, and being a year older where again, he's still young and developing just from a physical perspective um, and he was always really strong, but now he's just cruising out there and everything looks really easy. And to me, just the game has slowed down. I think you've seen him a couple times where he's just taken over games late, starting in that Dallas game and running pick and roll with Aiton. And it's like, oh, he's doing Chris Paul stuff. And he just flipped a switch where he's went from the scoring Devin Booker we've usually seen to, oh, I have to kind of control the tempo and run the offense and create for others. And and I think that's 
one of those things that only really good players can do when you talk about his skill set and what his kind of identity is, and he can just flip out of that. Um, and you then you add the defensive side onto that, and he's probably a plus defender now, if not a pretty good defender. Then I, I just think he's just overall rounded out his game really well. And yeah, first team All NBA. The next step is. Do you have a lot of those moments where you can flip that switch and just take over a game from tempo and do things like Steph Curry, like LeBron, where you're controlling an entire game and it's feel? And I think he's kind of there almost, and he just has to show us that he can do that, you know, in big moments. Is Chris Paul regressing, or are they holding him back a little bit to keep him fresh for a possible playoff push down the road? Yeah, um, I, I was. I keep going back to last year too with him, where I don't want to make grand declarations right now, just because he did get off, and I thought he was going to be a step slow last year, and then you see how he goes through the regular season. He eventually just clicks into gear, and he's all good. Um, the minutes right now are still up there, and he's struggling. Like last night, you look at his shot chart; they were all, you know, mid-range shots, places that he should make his shots, and it's just not going down for him sometimes and some nights. So. I don't want to like make grand declarations yet, um, but I, I think there is an element of they want to find out whether he clicks into that gear or not. They want to find out what this team can do without him because, again, it, it's going to be a lot on Booker. It's going to be a lot more on Aiton. And um, when you have a night like Mikel Bridges last night, it, it's going to show up where you can have an off night for Chris Paul and even Devin Booker at the same time. Um, that's great in the regular season, but I think when playoffs come, that's why you talk about Kevin Durant. That's why you talk about other upgrades where we don't want, you know, the, the Suns want to say we don't want to rely on Chris Paul being a guy who can score 25 on any given night because that's not fair to him. Kevin Zimmerman with Arizona Sports, one of the lead editors and half of Empire of the Suns podcast, joining us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. So you mentioned the bench, and we can all agree that moving Cam Johnson off of the bench into the starting lineup had a lot of us concerned. But so far, they've very clearly held their own, and it looks like with DeAndre Ayton's injury, they'll at least have to be a big part of one or maybe even two games going forward. How confident are you if that is the case? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the bench? Yeah. In general, yeah. I mean, Jock Landale, I think, is the obvious thing where we all said, hey, okay, he can maybe be the third contributor at center behind Biombo or something like that. He's a smart guy. You just look at his pedigree and how they play out of Australia. They're just smart basketball players generally. And he's been a lot more than that. He can switch even um, his length. You can see when guys test him and, and guards try to take him that he just blocks them and it's like a surprising thing. And so I think people are going to get used to that, but also that's because he's good. He can move his feet. Um, the offense actually does move pretty smoothly through him and he's kind of a stretch um, center. And you just look at the plus minuses last night. I think he was plus 18, um, second best on the team. And it's eight points and two rebounds and two assists, but that just means you're playing with your teammates really well, regardless of what that box score says around that. So um, he hasn't had a bad game yet. I I think he's really shown that he's got something. And then just Damian Lee um, campaign has looked really well. Good. I think last night was probably his best game where he just looks like that confident shooter and scorer can be aggressive and is not overthinking. So just a lot of good elements from that bench where, you know, they're going to they're gonna play good basketball and smart basketball and beat teams just because they can do that. And then as a result, do you think that maybe Dario Saric will start to see a few minutes just because they're now a little bit thinner down low? Yeah, I mean, that that's hard to say because, like, 
ideally, and it looks like they kind of thought about maybe we play him as a traditional power forward, but he was really good playing as a center. So I think with Landale playing as good as he's like playing, then it's going to be hard for Dara to get minutes. And I don't know if they're doing that just because, you know, he played with Croatia this summer and is coming off an, a pretty serious injury or, or really two injuries in his knees. Um, so I, I don't know if they're just trying to be careful with him, but it's going to be hard either way, especially if this bench unit keeps playing that well without him. Kevin Zimmerman, the lead editor at ArizonaSports.com, also from the Empire of the Suns podcast. Uh, my last one for you, Kevin. With the emergence of Mikel Bridges last night being the leading scorer, uh, part of me thinks he just wanted to get to the locker room to watch the World Series game. But at the same time, uh, with his emergence last night, he was the fourth leading scorer in the regular season and the playoffs last year. Does he need to evolve into one of their primary options behind Booker this season? That, that's a good question because I think last year, all last year at the start of it, even we were saying he needs to take that step, take a little more off the dribble, do more creation and that kind of thing. Um, but also the other part of it is he's as good as he is on defense and, and as good of a role player as he is because he does so much. I mean, Monty always talks about how many miles he puts on himself and how much he takes on the other team's best player every night, which not every team has a guy who can do that. And, and especially the minutes he plays. So I, I don't even know if asking him to carry a huge offensive load is fair. And, and that's where you wonder like balance wise, is that going to detract from his defense? So I, I think that that's an element to that, but also I'm not sure he's necessarily the guy who can, you know, just, start running pick and rolls and with Aiton or something and take stuff off Booker and Chris Paul. That's not his game and that's fine. And I, I think again, that's why you got to talk about um, are there tweaks? If you really want to say this is a championship caliber team where you go and get a guy who's really more of an on ball perimeter creator um, for himself or others. And, and that's why I don't know if it's even fair to put it on Mikel Bridges to do all that, but yeah, he's going to have nice like, 27 points where it's 13 shots and he's making everything because of the other players and how they play. Kevin, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Have a good birthday, Steve. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's Kevin Zimmerman. I'm spending it with Mitch. <laughs> nothing I'd rather be doing. No, it's, well, <laughs> appreciate that. Kevin Zimmerman with Arizona Sports, lead editor, one half of the Empire of the Suns podcast. Him and Kellen Olson put together a really nice podcast for the Suns if you want your Suns coverage. I was serious. That's There's nothing else I'd rather be doing right now. Well, I appreciate that. How about this? Do you want to talk about the NFL trade deadline? There's nothing I would rather do than that. And talk about the moves that Steve Keim needs to make? I got a couple ideas. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Well, happy Saturday to everybody. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Ferreldis with you on Arizona Sports Saturday as we are not just preparing for the Cardinals to be back after their absence since uh, they played on Thursday night last week. but it also like forever ago. Though. It does feel like a long time. And also they're playing a team coming off of a bye, so that's interesting wow. too. Both teams are well rested. Yeah. It's a lot of breaks. Um, but another thing that's coming up very, very soon is the NFL trade deadline. Now, a week ago or a week and a half ago, rather, before the Cardinals seemingly got a little bit back on track against the Saints, uh, I think I probably would have told you that the Cardinals were in no position to be acquiring players at the NFL trade deadline. What were they at? A two of four? A two of four, I thought they would have been ready to sell. 
right? And then you they get the winning. They get the they make the Robbie Anderson trade after the loss, which at first felt like, well, what are they doing? But they're obviously making that move to account for the loss of Hollywood Brown, which they call temporary and say he'll be back at the end of the year. And it gives Kyler another option on the field for an offense that, quite frankly, has not looked good so far through seven games. Still a lot of question marks. There's no doubt about that. Um, And then also, too, one of the questions I have is if you are going to acquire players or a player at the trade deadline beyond Mm -hmm. Robbie Anderson, is it on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball? I would argue that Vance Joseph and the defense deserve to be bolstered. They've played out of their minds at times. Two pick sixes in the last game. I'm kind of tired of seeing the excess amount put towards the offense, too, to no avail. That's the other thing, is you put so much time, effort, resources, draft picks into this offense that, yes, a couple of guys are out, like Justin Pugh and Rodney Hudson's going to miss another game. James Conner's going to miss another game. Uh, Now Hollywood Brown is out, like you mentioned. So, yeah, there's some holes in the offense that you could definitely add to it, but the defense deserves to be bolstered in a way that the offense doesn't. So I think the the question can be asked of the front office, what are they going to do when this trade deadline rolls around? Well, you asked, and Steve Kime yesterday with Burns and Gambo delivered. He wasn't asked directly about players. That's that's our job to figure out, is like who are these players to fill in. But he was asked about positions that he would like to address the most ahead of the deadline, if he has them. I honestly think, um, you know, a number of places, uh, defensively, edge wrestler, uh, corner depth, uh, interior defensive linemen. Um, and then, you know, you look at the offensive line, as, as banged up as we are, if there were opportunities to get to improve. But uh, the thing that I'll say is, is, is a lot of those guys have really picked up their game. Um, as I mentioned, Billy Price and and uh, Will Hernandez, and then defensively, you know, two of those young kids, Cam Thomas and MyJ Sanders, I think are really coming on, and they're going to have way more opportunities moving forward. And I think that they've earned it. Now, will we feel differently if they go into Sunday and lose? Probably. Will we feel like they should full on sell if they lose on Sunday? I'm going to say no. I I would also say no. But at the same time, I'm going to feel less confident if they make an aggressive move. Like, we're going to talk about Bradley Chubb here, the Denver Broncos outside uh, linebacker. He's a really good edge rusher. is one of the league leaders in sacks this year and on the final year of his deal currently. But the problem is is if you lose on Sunday, then you're in a worse position. I'm not... I'm not blowing anybody's minds here, but if you come out of the weekend three and five, you're in no better position than you were heading into the weekend. So what difference is an edge rusher going to make for this team when the offense is the problem, not the defense? Yeah, I think that's a fair question, although I do feel that they never truly filled a pass rusher void that was left by Chandler Jones. Um, I do feel a bit of excitement, like Kime just mentioned, about MyJ Sanders and Cam Thomas. In their very limited time on the field, they've actually had some sack production, which is good. And I feel really good about J.J. Watt and Zach Allen, who are both more inside guys and not necessarily outside pass rushers. I still feel good about Marcus Golden. He's finally in the sack column as well himself. Um, So I do think that they could bolster the defensive line. How about this? I'll throw three names at you. Okay. These are three names I came up with. One of them's kind of pie in the sky, probably under unrealistic. Another one is like, ah, are we really going to go down that road? And then the third one is actually realistic. Right. Number one is the one you mentioned, Bradley Chubb. He's getting talked about a lot. 
because the Denver Broncos are falling apart. Russell Wilson has become the laughing stock of the NFL. Yes. And I think Denver is probably going to fire their head coach at some point and give up on some of their players, much like the Carolina Panthers did, firing Matt Rule early in the season and then giving uh, getting rid of Christian McCaffrey. Bradley Chubb is probably going to cost you a couple of high draft picks. Some of the stuff I've been reading is like a second, a third, and maybe a player. I don't know what that player is for the Broncos that they would want. It would cost a lot. And Steve Kimes' best trades that he's made are second-round picks and a player for a stud, like Chandler Jones was, like uh, uh, the trade for David Johnson to get DeAndre Hopkins. He's really good at those deals. I don't know that that deal is on the table because the Cardinals aren't looking to get rid of players unless that player is A.J. Green. I also think the Broncos, however, if you look at it from their perspective, they're kind of in a desperation position. They've got quarter billion invested in a quarterback for the next six years after this one. Right. They've got no first or second next year because of the trade they made with Seattle. They're in a position to recoup, but are they in a position to aggress is this the word aggressively that I'm looking for or to to freak out necessarily are they in a position where they have to freak out and be like oh shoot we've got to sell off the pieces that we're not going to re-sign so that we can get some capital for next year's draft not every team has to go that way just because you do the Rams uh, bleep them picks strategy do you have to be good to bleep them picks not necessarily picks are an easy way to recoup talent but there are other ways to recoup talent look what the Cardinals have done for example, like cheap one-year deals for effective veterans, that was their mantra last year. A.J. Green was a really good pickup last year. Jordan Hicks has been a valuable pickup for them in the prior years. He didn't cost them a lot of money. He even took a pay cut last year. There are other ways to go about this, and I don't think you have to freak out and just necessarily go for draft picks to make up for it. It helps, but you don't have to. Second name I came up with, also an edge rusher in Cleveland, Jadavian Clowney. Obviously, was a high he draft. He was available pick. this offseason, too. He was available late, which suggests that, you know, he's not playing up to the money that he thinks he deserves. Cleveland is sitting on, I think, a two and five record, just similar to, uh, to Denver if they lose this weekend. And Cleveland, this makes it difficult, but Cleveland's playing on Monday night. And they which also, is closer to the they deadline. also play Cincinnati, though. Right. So if you lose to Cincinnati, I, I realize they have Deshaun Watson coming back and can be somewhat of a savior figure for them, but he doesn't come back till what, week 13 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, because they have 11 weeks without him. I think week 12 is their bye and 13. That's, so you're left with six games. That's fine if you want to be loaded for when that happens, but at the same time, it doesn't help you if you only have two wins when you get to week 13. Well, I mean, respectfully, it feels like Cleveland did load up to have him, and then he got suspended. They're talking about moving Kareem Hunt. Right. Why wouldn't Jadavian Clowney be available? And that might come at a much cheaper cost than a Bradley Chubb would. Sure, of course it would because he's older. But at that in that same realm, then I would just be upset. It's like, okay, if you wanted Jadavian Clowney, why didn't you just sign him in the offseason when he was available? Yeah, You had every right question. to do that. And now instead you'll have to trade capital. Now, we agree that Steve Kime doesn't have the sparkling draft record. There are the few picks here and there, but... The sparkling draft record has not shined for Kime. So people will look at that two ways. But I look at it as you had a chance to sign him in the offseason. Why are you now trading for him halfway through with a losing record? Third name I came up with, and this one's the most realistic, but the least sexy. Offensive lineman in Carolina. Yeah, you'd have to make another trade with Carolina. Cameron Irving. Okay, tell me. 
another high draft pick years ago. He's bounced around the league. The thing that I like about Cameron Irving is he would be fairly cheap in terms of the return cost, maybe mid to late round pick, a conditional pick, something like that, to get a guy who's played all along the offensive line, plays all the positions. You're not just getting a tackle. You're not just getting a guard. You're not just getting a center. You're getting a guy who could potentially fill in at multiple holes, which is something that the Cardinals have needed because I don't feel that they need a. They certainly don't need a quarterback. They have more running backs than they know what to do with. They have plenty of wide receivers. In fact, I think A.J. Green might even be available at the trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, so that leaves me... I mean, they don't need tight ends, obviously. So that leaves me with the offensive line. And, and they need offensive line. Rodney Hudson's going to miss another game. Max is going to miss a game. Max DJ Garcia. Humphreys is questionable this weekend. Justin Pugh is out. So, like, all these guys, right? Yeah. You're going to need some depth. I don't feel that they... I think they don't feel Sean Harlow is a great backup option. In fact, well, they, I'm talking about Billy Price. Price. Yeah, what does that tell you? So I think Cameron Irving or somebody like him who can be kind of a swing offensive lineman would be a good addition at the trade deadline. One last thing I want to hit on, because there's two sides to every trade deadline, right? There's the buy and the sell. Right. What if the Cardinals are forced to sell at the deadline? There is a Sports Illustrated piece that was released earlier in the week. Part of it is assessing the buyers, who are the obvious buyers, who are the obvious sellers. Right. And then there was a section towards the bottom called Nine Deals We'd Like to See. J.J. Watt to the Chiefs. I I would not like to see that. I'll read what they said. (laughs) Cardinals are never going to admit they're out of it. Thus will probably not be a factor at the deadline. However, they know this roster is developing one hole after another, and the ill-fated trade for Hollywood Brown didn't come close to masking those tears in the fabric. Tears in the fabric, excuse me. We said the same thing a year ago before ultimately getting our hearts broken. Watt deserves to run out the clock on his career, however long that is, with a contender. He could mentor George Karloftis, their rookie linebacker, and provide an immediate spark. Well, obviously, it sounds great for the Chiefs. It sounds terrible for the Cardinals. Yeah, I think if you do that deal, if you're the Cardinals, to send him anywhere, um, and it would probably need to be a contender to make him happy, but... I think if you do that, you're sending a message to your locker room that you've given up. To clarify, it's a speculation. It's not a report. Of course. It's not somebody coming out with saying, like, hey, I heard this. This is just, wouldn't this be cool if they did this? That's a player, though, that would make sense. I mean, it's a guy who clearly he came to Arizona from Houston where he played his whole career because he wanted to win a championship. And if they feel that they're not close to that and they do want to ship him out— then sure, for all intents and purposes, J.J. Watt would be the player to ship out. I mean, it costs a bunch of money. You'd free up some of that for future acquisitions. But if you do that in the middle of the season, you're giving up on 2022. Yep. And I don't think that's a message you want to send to this team. The second you sell one of your best players on either side of the field, you're done. You're not sending a positive message. Will they do anything at the deadline? I, I, I don't know. They already did the Robbie Anderson thing, and that still remains to be seen how much they're going to get out of that. We'll see. Coming up next, we're going to go around the NFL to all the other games that are happening this weekend. We'll give you a headline. We'll give you a player to watch for. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports Saturday takes you around the NFL. Around and around we go. We do it every 11.45 on an Arizona Sports Saturday. Such a weird time to do it, but it's the perfect time for myself, Mitch Veraldis, and Steve Zinsmeister. We're Mitch and Steve now, by the way. The big voice well, said Well, we so. were always Mitch and Steve. But the big voice said Respectfully. so. Respectfully. So that's the difference. How we do around the NFL, if you're a first-time listener, we don't just predict the game. Predicting the game's boring. 
We predict other outcomes outside the final score. Steve's going to tell you why you should watch this game. I can already answer the first one. That's a guarantee. The 6.30 a.m. London game here locally. And then I'm going to tell you a fantasy guy to watch out for. All of us love fantasy football here. Steve was just showing me his terrible fantasy football team as I was showing him mine. So here we go. Let's start with the London game. I'm going to set my alarm for 6.30 a.m. tomorrow. Because I have to work early, but because I also want to watch Broncos-Jaguars in London. Broncos-Jaguars. Russell Wilson. uh, Yeah. Let's ride. Russell Wilson has easily become the laughing stock of the entire NFL with his nonsense. He's not playing well after getting that huge contract. He's got awkward press conferences where he keeps using slogans that don't belong there. He'll say uh, things like, I've got Wolverine blood and then miss right. Sunday's game. He's working out on the plane in the aisles. I don't understand He's, he's that grabbing either. all the wrong headlines. Uh, well, if the Broncos lose this game... Will they fire their head coach? I mean, that's conceivable. Will they trade a bunch of players away? I think that this is a do-or-die game for Denver because if they lose, they might change and alter the course of their entire history. So what's funny about this, both of these teams were 2-1 and after three weeks. They're both on four-game losing streaks. Yeah. It will be fascinating to see how it turns. The Jaguars will have the fantasy standout, though. And if you have Travis Etienne Jr. on your team, good for you, because the Jaguars just traded away James Robinson earlier this week, which means there is only one option to go to behind Trevor Lawrence, and that's Travis Etienne. Jermichael Hasty won't cause you any problems, I promise. Let's go into the regular window where the Arizona Cardinals will be involved. They take on the Minnesota Vikings. Two well-rested teams. The Vikings are coming off of a bye. Uh, they're undefeated at home. They're 5-1 and one this season. And Justin Jefferson is the best, most dangerous receiver in the entire NFL. But he's playing the Cardinals' defense. And while he's dangerous, the Cardinals are actually the best team in the league when defending number one receivers, according to Pro Football Focus. Hmm. Something to keep your eyes on. They've done pretty well against Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf. I mean, the list goes on. Will they do the same against Justin Jefferson? It's hard to say. This Minnesota offense has everything going for them because they play within the margins. Fantasy-wise, I really think it's hard to pass up a Justin Jefferson breakout game. Are we going to get a DeAndre Hopkins breakout game, too? I think it'll be a battle of the number one receivers as far as the fantasy is concerned. I, I jumped around on you. I apologize. We'll go backwards now. Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. Divisional matchup for yeah. first place. Yeah, let me tell you, with the Buccaneers struggling the way they are, it opens up the door for every other team in the NFC South, including both of these teams. Carolina traded away Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson already. And then won. Yeah, they well, and they might trade other guys. They killed the Bucks last week. These guys are still in it, and that is shocking at this point in the season. It's amazing how many teams are still in it. I tell you what, though, Atlanta really loves their ground game. Marcus Mariota loves to scramble. He doesn't love to throw. But there's this kid, Tyler Algier, this rookie for Atlanta. He stepped up pretty well, and he seems to be getting the workload for them. I expect him to be their fantasy breakout in this one. Good. I picked him up. I actually like the underdog in this one, and I'll tell you why. But Bears-Cowboys at Jerry World. Chicago traded away Robert Quinn this week to the Philadelphia Eagles, despite having the number two pass rush in the league. Him and Roquan Smith are a pretty solid duo that are now 
separated. Yeah, I find that interesting. Why did Chicago... I'm having a Brian Windhorst moment. Why would Chicago do that? Especially after a great win over New England, where they just felt... They just dominated both Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi defensively, and offensively, they ran all over what was a really good New England defense to that point. Yeah, Justin Fields kind of coming into his own, but also he plays a different style of game. He's kind of a mixture between a pocket passer and a Lamar Jackson. Now, here's where I like the underdog in this one. Dallas, their defense, it has a couple of holes in it. Micah Parsons might not even play this weekend, who's just an absolute game wrecker. But the big thing about the Bears that I heard this week is that Justin Fields ran the ball at least 10 times against New England. Like, design runs, not scrambles, which could bode very, very well for this team that doesn't have a great passing attack, but they have three solid ground options in David Montgomery, Herbert, and Justin Fields. And I think as a result, Justin Fields is going to have a breakout performance for all of you fantasy managers out there. Miami Dolphins and the Detroit Lions, what was the best offense in the league, is now 1-5. Yeah, that's what's interesting. The Lions are 1-5, but if I told you that they have the fourth best offense in the NFL right now, it's true. It's unbelievable. And they're getting DeAndre Swift back. Amon Ross St. Brown might return as well in this game. This is a fun offensive team and a really bad overall team because they just can't stop anyone to save their life. It's a fun offensive team, and they're going up just as fun of an offensive team. And this Dolphins, that Waddle-Hill duo for Tua Tungabailoa, it's gorgeous. Chef's kiss. I love it. If you have Tyree Killer, Jalen Waddle, good for you. They're going to go nuts on Sunday. Las Vegas Raiders against the New Orleans Saints. It's a battle of two second-time head coaches, Dennis Allen and Josh McDaniels. Josh Jacobs has been fantastic, actually, in the last couple of games. He might be the best running back in football behind Saquon Barkley. Get this, 441 yards and six touchdowns in his last three games combined. So good. (laughs) We basically wrote him off. The Raiders basically wrote him off. They're not giving him the fifth-year option after this year. They're going to regret that. Well, of course they'll regret it. Will they get the win against a reeling Saints team? I don't know. Andy Dalton is still throwing for a lot of air yards. And I'm going to do it again, Steve. Taysom Hill breakout game. He had 10 points against the Cardinals last week, fantasy-wise. He scores a lot of touchdowns. It's going to happen again. Another divisional game, New England Patriots against the 5-2 and two New York Jets. Yeah, the Patriots have won the last 12 matchups between these two teams, which suggests that they would probably have the upper hand, it right? It suggests. But like you said, the Jets are 5-2. and two. Not particularly great at any one thing, though. I'd keep an eye on Ramondre Stevenson, a fairly unknown running back before the season started, who's just come on the scene for New England, and a team with a track record of splitting carries. He appears to be a potential workhorse back in the future. Of course, the big news heading into this weekend, fantasy-wise, Brees Hall had the tear, I believe it was the ACL tear against the Broncos. He's now done for the year. But then, as I mentioned earlier, they traded for James Robinson. What does that mean for Michael Carter? I don't know. They might not even play James Robinson this week. So if you have Michael Carter, he might be the best option behind Ramondre Stevenson in this one. Pittsburgh Steelers and the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, the only undefeated team in the entire league at this point. And they just acquired Robert Quinn to boost their pass rush against the Steelers offensive line that is duty yeah meanwhile Pittsburgh is having a hard time transitioning their quarterback over to Kenny Pickett Uh, this is the time of year when you start to see most teams that drafted a guy in the first couple of rounds they transition to that guy and we're going to talk about another one here in a second but Mm -hmm. they are struggling with that transition to Kenny Pickett I think as long as Jalen Hurts is the quarterback you can do wonders 
with that offense. And Miles Sanders is actually contributing again. So if you have Jalen Hurts, I actually saw somebody in one of my leagues just made a trade for him this week. Surprised someone would let him go. But if you have Jalen Hurts, good for you. He's about to pop off. Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. And we have news regarding this game, I told you that we were going to talk about another team transitioning to a new quarterback. That's Malik Willis. He's going to start for the first time in place of Ryan Tannehill, who is ill. And I don't mean that in the good way that your teenager says ill. (laughs) I mean that in the he is sick kind of way. He's not illin'. But when it comes to this game, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an absolutely movable object? That is Derrick Henry this week against one of the worst run defenses in Houston. Uh, He's run for over 200 yards in each of his last three games against the Texans. Vegas is on to something. This is only a two and a half point favorite for Tennessee. Really? Yeah. They don't trust Willis? Maybe. Does Vegas even know about Willis yet? Divisional (laughs) games are so wonky. I... I don't know. This it's text, also in Houston. I don't know if that helps. It's There's a lot of things riding. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But I still think Derrick Henry is the leader, as you pointed out. The Washington Commanders against the Indianapolis Colts. It is not a revenge game because Carson Wentz is hurt. Well, it's also the third game in a row we're going to talk about where a team is making a quarterback transition from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger in Indianapolis, which is slightly surprising because uh, the Colts have the seventh-ranked passing attack in the league, despite Matt Ryan throwing ducks. This is Matt Ryan every year for the last couple of years since that Super Bowl. It's just he'll throw for like 40 bazillion yards, and they'll lose. And they'll lose. That's just how it works. And reportedly, the Colts players in the locker room were shocked by the change at quarterback. Nobody saw it coming. So this is the kind of decision that makes or breaks the season. So to clarify, Ryan was going to miss this game likely due to injury. He was dealing with a elbow, I believe it was. But then they flat out said, no, he's done for the rest of the year. Which, that's a very interesting move. Okay. Um, Commanders. They've got a very interesting running back, Brian Robinson. Great story. He's the one who got Tw- shot, right? He got carjacked, shot a couple of Ooh. times, had to miss the first four weeks of the season. He's a great story. I think he takes advantage of a Colts defense that is still lingering without Darius Leonard. Divisional game we're keeping our eyes on, 49ers and Rams. Two incredible defenses, but will Christian McCaffrey find his footing in San Fran and kickstart their offense? He better because Debo Samuel's out this week. Uh, meanwhile, the Rams, they haven't been able to run the ball at all. They're one of the worst running teams in the league and gave up on Cam Akers. Their offense is surprisingly bad. Who's going to have to go to the silent count first? Niners. You think the Niners? Well, it's in L.A., so... Right, but the Rams have had to go to silent count at home numerous times. It's true. Even in the playoff game last year. Uh, Fantasy-wise, if you got Cooper Cup, you seem to be in good shapes. I don't know what this Rams offense, though. They kind of scare me. And the Niners' defense, they got... They got bullied by the Chiefs, but they're still one of the better defenses in the league. So I think Christian McCaffrey, if you have him, he's a safe bet this week. This is an interesting matchup. Two positive record teams. The New York Giants, who are 6-1, and one, and the Seattle Seahawks, who lead the NFC West at 4-3. and three. This is actually the only matchup this week between two teams with winning records, and it's the <laughs> Giants and Seahawks. That's astounding. How does that make any sense? Wow. Also, didn't Geno Smith play for the Giants? He did. You know what that makes this? With Geno Smith. Geno Smith revenge, revenge game. In some capacity. I don't think Ben DiNucci is there anymore. Or not Ben DiNucci. Who was that offensive coordinator? McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. Thank you. I like the Giants in this one, but Seattle's favored by a field goal. 
probably because it's in Seattle, but I like the Giants in this one, and I actually like Danny Dimes in this one. He doesn't have to throw. He's going to be down quite a few pass catchers, but he really runs the ball well and with a full head of steam. Packers Bills Sunday night. Yeah, the Weeks actual <laughs> marquee. Now, I don't know. I, I I'm gonna say this. I think this is actually the game of the week still. Really? I realize the Packers have been struggling, but it's still Aaron Rodgers. He's still a multiple time MVP. Uh two of the league's best quarterbacks, similar style of gunslingers. The Packers have actually won their last thirteen regular season primetime games. And Rodgers has thrown for 45 touchdowns to only four picks in his last 18 night games. Possible upset? No. <laughs> the Bills are favored by 10.5 on the road, or at home. Okay. Excuse me. Possible upset. Josh Allen saying. has 17 passing touchdowns this year. Six of them are caught by Stephon Diggs. Let me put it this way. If you have a member of the Bills passing offense, use it. You're all right. You're in good shape. Monday night, a battle of Ohio. Yeah. Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow has not beaten the Browns yet. Really? He has not. Baker the, Mayfield beating Joe Burrow? What is this nonsense? But the good news for him is that the Browns appear to be just floundering right now. And if they lose this one, that might be it for Kareem Hunt, who supposedly they've been shopping, and maybe others we talked about the earlier. the big news in this one, no Jamar Chase. Oof. Four to six weeks with a hip injury. Although the Bengals are saying like he's built differently. Essentially, so he'll they be would back. say that he'll, he'll be back soon. So if you have Tyler Boyd, or if you have T. Higgins, or if you literally have anybody else that can catch a ball from Joe Burrow, you're going to be in good shape. Real bummer this week, fantasy wise, too. Chiefs and Chargers on a bye. Chargers not as much as before, but Chiefs really hurts you. Coming up next, hour two of Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.